Hey everyone, welcome to DarkCast Interviews. I'm your host, Jonathan Miley. DCI is a long-form interview podcast where we talk to game creators about who they are and their work behind the scenes, as well as, obviously, their recent or upcoming video games. In this episode, I talk with Hans von Knut and Jacob Hansen from Portaplay about Broken Lines, a simultaneous turn strategy game set in a fictional version of World War II that also has a heavy emphasis on story and choice. For more information about the game, check out the links in the description below on YouTube or in the show notes for this episode on DarkStation.com. There you can also find the original DarkCast as well as other video game reviews, previews, and features. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, follow us on Twitter at DarkStation underscore com, find us on Facebook, check us out on YouTube, and email us at podcast at DarkStation.com. As always, thank you so much for listening. Now on with the show. Darkcast interviews. I'm Jonathan Miley. Joining me today is Hans Van Nutt. Is that? I should have asked how your last name is pronounced. Is that? Uh, it's Hans that... from Knut. Okay. It. So you pronounce the. Yeah. Okay. You pronounce the K. I like it. I yeah. like it. Why have the K if you're not going to pronounce it? That is. That is <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, excellent. Uh, and uh, Jacob Hansen. Yes. Hello. Yay! I said names. Pat on the back for me. <laughs> well done. Uh, <laughs> well, thank you guys so much for sitting down with me and chatting about Broken Lines. Uh, I've been researching this game uh, this morning before the podcast, and it looks super cool, so I'm really interested to hear just all about it. Uh, but before we get into the game itself, I always like to get to know uh, the developers that I'm talking to a little bit. So whichever one of you wants to go first, uh, Hans or Jacob, if you could uh, you know, just give us a little bit of background about who you are and kind of what you do at Portaplay. Jacob, you're older, so you go first. <laughs> oh, thank you. Ladies first. <laughs> well, I'm, uh, well, I'm Jacob. I'm uh, 43 now, and um, I've been at Portaplay for almost 10 years. And before that, I was uh, like... Uh, doing painting and uh, weird art stuff. Hmm. Now I'm um, sitting in front of a computer. <laughs> so I'm doing uh, weird game stuff. <laughs> weird paint stuff to weird game stuff. That's, yes. I like it. Uh, and so, <clears throat> uh, Jacob, you are the lead designer on uh, Broken Lines, correct? Correct. All right. And what, what does that look like? Because, I don't know, with, with video games, I feel like so many job titles... Uh, the same job title can mean different things at different studios, especially if it's a smaller studio, you wear just all the hats. Uh, but what, what does that uh, look like for you? Well, my title could uh, equally be man of many hats. So uh, <laughs> I sit down with uh, all the designers and uh, I go into the gritty details with the practical implementation of, uh, for instance, uh, how should the level design be? How does it feel? Is there a... a problem in that particular thought, could we, uh, and then I'd ask the level designer to fix some stuff, and then I 
talk to another guy, could we maybe have some specific sounds there going up and down? And um, yeah, so it's basically getting involved with everyone, also the writer, making sure the events, uh, I give them sort of uh, like how, uh, what should this event be about? Uh, okay, but why not uh, do this or cut that and cut this? <laughs> so it's it's very much uh, editing people and helping them and guiding them. Very nice, very nice. Hans, what about you? Uh, yeah, I'm uh, Hans from Klut. I'm uh, the game director at Portplay and also one of the co-founders. Um, so I started the company like, I don't know, tw- 13 years ago. Oh my God, that's a long time ago. <laughs> um, and I was originally, you know, oh, I, I, oh yeah, I did photography of all things. Uh, but then I found out that I had absolutely no aesthetic skills. Uh, so I quickly changed the uh, uh, field of work. And at that time, it was like 2005. Oh, you can do games now, even though you are not a total uh, rocket scientist. Um, <laughs> so I started doing games and started uh, doing, uh, creating port play with, with friends. And uh, here we are, 13 years later. Um, and uh, my role in the game is uh, game director. So you could say that I'm doing a lot of the same things as Jacob, apart from having no practical skills whatsoever, <laughs> which is kind of like uh, uh, me and Jacob defines the game together, but where Jacob then, and we talk to people together, but Jacob then actually sit hands-on uh, in the game, uh, in the game editor and, and works on the game. And then I'm more like floating above the waters and updating documentation and also project management, things like figuring out funding and um, and pitching to publishers and, and all these things. So so you could say that me and Jacob together has, has created the game with, with very big help from our lead developer, who's also a game designer. Uh, but but Jacob's more hands-on and I'm, I'm a little bit more, uh, yeah, I don't know. Floating somewhere? <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. That's a big overview. <laughs> yeah. Sure, sure. So, uh, so both of you came from you know kind of uh, industries that are you know creative photography and um, painting, but obviously not video games. What kind of made each of you want? Besides just the fact that games are cool and everybody wants to make games and play games. Like what, what was kind of the driving factor in kind of making that career change and you know starting a video game studio or becoming a, a game designer? I guess we have a lot in common with, with many game designers which are more than 35 years uh, five years old. I think if, if you kind of look at the, all those game developers of 35 plus, I, I assume that 80% of them have been playing role-playing games or over very heavy into board games in the 90s and 80s. Uh, and, and that is also me and Jacob's uh, uh, real passion when we were younger. Uh, I even, th- I mean, we, I think we got to know each other during a live role-playing game or something like it. Yeah, uh, some, like more than 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, um, so I guess this whole thing about doing stories and, and, and doing games, you know, doing your own board games and doing your own role-playing systems or doing your own campa- campaigns or scenarios for role-playing games, uh, yeah, was a stra- strong driving force. Yeah. And another thing was that uh, Denmark was quite early with uh, actually making uh, educations that were about computer games. 
we could actually take an education that was focused on game design and game theory and and all those relevant things. So um, yeah. Yeah, you would say that before that education, then there wasn't the the game industry with three big companies that was dead. After uh, some of these game education starting in two thousand and three, four, five, six, then we had had a big boom. Of course, Unity also helped a lot with kind of democratizing the development process, uh, enabled people to to do games. Uh, before that, it was much harder to to actually start doing some games. That makes that makes sense. Yeah, uh, is Broken Lines made with uh, Unity or is it made with Unreal? What what uh, technology are you guys using for that? It's I mean, we Unity. are very conservative guys. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're from Denmark, so we we work in Unity. There are people from Denmark who doesn't work in Unity. True, uh, <laughs> but a lot of people work in Unity. But uh, because yeah, we we know the guys who made Unity. Sure. I, we have been sitting at Scroll Bar, a bar where the one of the education was and where the Unity guys were developing Unity, the very first steps. And we were kind of buying drinks to David Hilgerson and some of the others because they were very poor, because they were doing all that, using all their money to develop Unity and so on. So it's kind of a, a family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, I guess David Hilgerson is the very rich uncle in that family. <laughs> uh, but that's how it goes. Nice. Um, so, uh, just kind of look at some of the the back catalog of Porta Plays uh, games and digital experiences. Uh, there, it seems like there's a lot of kind of I don't want to call it edutainment because that that takes me back to like the '90s and like Math Blaster and stuff like that. Um, but it seems to be some some educational type stuff. Some uh, what is labeled as interactive documentaries. And a lot of collaborations with with other studios. Broken Lines seems like it's kind of a a pretty big jump in terms of ambition and scope and everything from the other stuff that I'm seeing that you guys have made before. Is that correct? Totally. Well, we started with the old uh, when we started Port to Play in 2007. We were doing uh, free to play multiplayer mobile games for Java phones on on 182 uh, pixel. Uh, screens Uh, and then when everything went iOS and Android and and free to play and we couldn't really we didn't have the motivation to do the whole free to play thing, Uh, then we started focusing more and more on combining games with with real life topics and and serious topics and learning and so on Uh, and then we just did a lot of games and got better and better at it until the culmination now which true is broken lines Uh, but we have had a lot of of course details but I still feel like we have we have kind of worked more and more with, with combining storytelling and gameplay and 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 not not like hundred uh, percent accurate games, but games which somehow is grounded in in reality or in plausible fantasy at least. Mm. One thing that has really helped us uh, doing all these different projects and collaborations with uh, other companies and studios over the years is that we're good at uh, delivering deadlines, we're good at not crunching and uh, being realistic and uh, prioritizing stuff. That's uh, actually, uh, that makes it so much easier for us to go into a big project like this without uh, breaking ourselves in half. Sure. Absolutely. Now, uh, you mentioned crunch and that is uh, just becoming an ever more present part of the conversation with working in the, the games industry. 
Uh, how do you how do you plan to not crunch? It seems like it's such an integral part of a lot of studios and the way that they design games. Um, how I guess just how does that how does that work for you guys from your you know your perspective? Well, I mean, being reali- <laughs> yeah, sorry, sorry. <laughs> go on, Diego. Well, uh, being realistic in expectations, what can we do? Prioritizing things um, and and. Also, we have a very low hierarchy. So if someone has a bad idea, for instance, if I say something stupid, then nobody's afraid to say, let's do it a different way. Or like if Hans says something, then like uh, everybody is allowed to have an opinion. Of course, we are the decision makers, but uh, we, I think we embrace a culture where we, um, where all opinions are, uh, we are interested in it. And that uh, makes uh, it easy for us to cut stuff that, uh, Someone has an opinion on that is uh, bad, and we figure out why I think bad. And then for the previous game we did back, in, I think we launched it in 2016, uh, Tales from the Void. We had around two weeks of crunch during a two and a half years development, and I think actually in in the two and a half years or, or almost three years we worked on Broken Lines, uh, I'm not sure we ever have crunched. Maybe no, like a couple like of a few- hours here and there. Yeah, a few hours uh, every other month or something to yeah. reach a specific deadline if you get a specific uh, technical issue that needs to be solved. Yeah. A few hours every few months. That's that's impressive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I mean, we only work 40 hours a week. Uh, as a, uh, That's kind of the standard. And I, mm-hmm. the only people who work more than that, I guess, is me and the co-owner because, well, we're the owners. But it's not too bad, actually. So, so yeah. And I also, I assume we must be brilliant in some ways. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe it's... But I, I mean, maybe it's also something about what Jacob said, but realistic, but also kind of making sure that we get things to fit together before we go too much into development. Um, You hear a lot of stories about about games which then develop a lot of different stuff which are then cut because it wasn't kind of totally uh, in in sync with the rest of the game or or it didn't test well. And what we also become really good at actually was uh, was testing the game uh, previously oh, it takes time to learn it actually it sounds weird but it takes time to learn to remember to test your game uh, because it slows down the process but it also means that your final product is much much better so the previous game tales from the void had issues uh, and this game we, we we tested the gameplay so much so so kind of one and a half year into the production, we knew we had a very fun gameplay. We had very good UI because we had tested every week with external testers. So we haven't gotten these big surprises along the way. Interesting. Um, that, that's that's very different from the way you hear a lot of uh, people talk about video game development, where like the in some ways like the game is not even fun until like the last six months of development of several years because then you get all of the proper UI elements and you get the polish on there that that it's you know only once that's added to it does it start to become really enjoyable so that's I wonder if that's something about kind of strategy games and kind of lending themselves to almost a more board game style of play that you can work those mechanics and and make it fun earlier on or, or what kind of 
I don't know how mm. that how I, that works I, in a video game. It, it really helped that we had a clear vision of where we wanted to go from the start. It was uh, basically, if we look at back at our very first prototype, it's more or less the same game. It's just being refined and refined. Mm. So, uh, so that makes it so much easier that, uh, that we agreed on what we wanted to do from day one. <laughs> sure. Yeah, and, and, and day one was, I mean, we had talks about stuff and so on, but day one was actually a prototype in Lego in a big box <laughs> of sand. And we, we kind of tested a, 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 very a very precise scenario saying, what kind of degree of control do we want? want to, what do we want automated? How should the AI work? What kind of abilities do you do? And, and then we tested it with sand and we're sure that, that the free core people, me and Jacob and our lead designer, Magnus, uh, was totally on the same level with how it should play out. And then we took pictures and wrote everything down. And, and, and yeah, as Jacob says, I mean, we can easily recognize that game in those pictures. <laughs> Excellent. Now, just to be clear, you're not secretly announcing a partnership with Traveler's Tales and that you're making a Lego version of this game, right? I mean, that's... I guess it could work. No, unfortunately not right now. But, I, I would uh, definitely yeah, like a Lego set uh, of uh, Broken Lines, yes. Yeah, <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> broken Legos? Lego Lines? Yes. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Either one, Broken line or Broken Legos or Lego Lines, uh, they both yes. work great. Yeah. Um, so, uh, what is what is the uh, team size that you're working with that is is making this game possible? Well, I mean, we started when we started the development. It was like one and a half guy or, or two half guys working on it for some months here and there because we just launched a game and it didn't do that well, and we, we had to do work for hire and stuff. Uh, and then, kind of after half a year of development, we were like maybe two full-time persons on it on and off and then after one year then we could ramp up and we were like three guys on it after one and a half year we were six guys on it and year we've been 12 10 ish on it uh full-time last year and that is mainly due to we got support from a european grant uh, and we also got uh, signed with super.com the publisher who also has uh, f uh, funded uh, part of the development very cool. Very cool. So right now you're sitting at about a, a dozen people or so working on the game? Well, yeah. actually, the game is done. We, we have the final, hopefully, <laughs> built Friday for both Switch and PC Friday next week. So actually, we're down to four people working on it right now. Yeah, that's like actually that. correct, yes. Yeah. We're working on yeah, other projects, so... uh, except from the small polishing and uh, a few tiny blocks and extra stuff. But, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, again, so in regards to Crunch, I mean, we have the the gold candidate Friday next week, and we don't have the full team working on it. It maybe says something about that. It's pretty much under control, we think. Wow, <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Well, let's uh, let's jump into the game itself. Like, what, I, I guess, uh, elevator pitch to start off, uh, just to kind of, you know, big overview of what the game is. What is Broken Lines? Well, Broken Lines... Is a game not about war, but about people at war. Uh, it's a game about a, a, a weird group of people thrown together without knowing each other, uh, landing in some unknown territory, uh, believing they have a mission, but in reality, they're not sure they should even be there. 
Um, and of course, it's a game about fighting and, and killing and surviving, but it's also very much a game about uh, finding out what are you doing there? Why are you fighting in the first place? And, and how, how far are you willing to go? And how can you make these people uh, work together to, to survive? Um, so, so we call it kind of a, we call it, sometimes we make fun and say it's, it's war noir. It's, it's not about the, the, the killing and the explosions, they are there, but it's more about uh, uh, the soldiers fighting it. Yeah, and the actual uh, gameplay experience from the missions is a simultaneous turn-based. So you plan uh, with your soldiers, uh, saying where do I want them to move, and then you press uh, the action bar, and then for eight seconds you and the enemy react at the same time, uh, which can result in... Uh, in chaos or beautifully executed moments or, uh, yeah, so <laughs> that's always kind of a, an a interesting uh, experience happening in those eight seconds. And then once they, they run out, you can plan again. Um, so. so so it's like a, a more streamlined and fast-paced frozen synapse, you could say. Mm. Yeah, but uh, also a little bit more uh, intense in the action than the traditional turn-based uh, games, which can feel very slow. And that's what we are trying to avoid, whilst, yes, still have this intuitive feel that uh, you don't need to uh, program everything and spend a lot of time between the uh, more uh, action-oriented moments. Hmm. Okay. So as far as the, the story goes, something that you said earlier, uh, that you're trying to figure out why why are you even there? This game is set in World War Two, correct? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's yes. uh, our version of World War Two, so okay. it's uh, it's actually taking place in a fictional country, and you're fighting against uh, mysterious unknown enemies. Uh, you don't really need uh, Nazis in this game, <laughs> so uh, we, we we wanted to mix things up, and because uh, like Nazis have been like uh, we have seen quite a lot of games about them and we thought, oh, maybe we can do something else. Okay. We like the period and feel of the World War II, but uh, we wanted to do something new with it. Very cool. Uh, so so we're in fictional uh, World War II. We're in a, a country that uh, we don't really know anything about. Um, just just out of sheer curiosity, when, when you say that people are trying to figure out why they're there, I assume that means it's a more personal kind of journey of figuring out why they're there, not like discovering that actually the Illuminati is behind both sides of the war and they sent you there and it's a whole big conspiracy. That that doesn't seem like where this is going, but I would like to know <laughs> if it is. <laughs> well, it's a really good question. Um, I mean, there are indications of both a grand master plan that you should totally foil, but there are also indications of Maybe you are fucking things up by being there. And, um, well, what it really is, we won't spoil here, but we can just say that, that you should totally play it and try it out, and uh, then you will see for yourself. There's a mystery going on in this uh, place they have landed, and it's about, like, uh, do we just want to get alive out of here and then, uh, like, save the problems for another day, or do we want to get in the thick of it and try to solve everything? But... Uh, it's only eight soldiers uh, that are together, and you uh, like. Do you want them to survive, or should they risk all to try to go and explore the mysteries? So that that was going to be another question. The the eight soldiers. Um, obvious. Uh, I guess an easy comparison for this game would be something like 
XCOM, where you've got the tactical combat and you've got squads with with real names, and when they die, they're gone. But in something like XCOM, you get rookies that that take their place. So with these eight soldiers, when when one dies, you just have seven. You don't get another nameless soldier kind of dropped from an airplane or something. Is that sad but true? Yes. <laughs> so, so if you, you lose everybody, it's it, game over or. Yeah. Okay. If you lose everybody, you lose everything. Gotcha. Uh, it is much more story driven than XCOM. We are we are very much inspired by how XCOM uh, revitalized the old XCOM franchise, which I played a shitload of, and and it really did a number on making it more accessible and more user friendly. But we also really like games like uh, Banner Saga and uh, and uh, which have characters which you can get into and which have personalities and have agendas and so on and which can die on you uh, so so we did this trick with trying to combine it um, uh, to make it both a, a personal and involving story but also to have this a little bit um, more open-ended than Banner Sega in regards to who are surviving, who are dying what will happen with the, with the soldiers and so on Okay um, so as far as uh, who lives and who dies in, in the trailer for the game, which will be in the show notes for the the podcast for anybody that wants to go and check that out. Um, it looks like there are some moments where you actually get to choose like dialogue or uh, decisions on what you do with maybe supplies or something like that. Uh, how does how does that affect the game? Is it changing where the story goes? Is it changing who lives and dies? Is it changing a level? Like what? How do, how does that kind of work with the the game well we have uh, several hundred events where you like some of them are optional some of them are mandatory for the say the main thread of the story so um, uh, you, you take a lot of decisions uh, say there's a sort of a, a forward motion in everything it's about getting away uh, moving through this area so um, so there's a forward motion in the story but uh, it's like you take a lot of decisions, like how do you manage your supplies? Uh, do you want to uh, like feed everyone? Uh, it's uh, yeah, there's quite a lot of decisions every day to take. Okay. Yeah, a lot of the a lot of the storytelling is about uh, is about both how you interact with the civilian population, uh, how the soldiers interact between each other. Um, how you prioritize things? Do you want to have your your crew starve, but uh, then uh, get more resources to get better weapons? And then, of course, that will make more efficient. Do we want? Uh, how do we want each of the character to, to develop in, in in certain ways? Um, so so it's very much. I, I mean, we have been a lot inspired by movies, of course, like um, Saving Private Ryan. Uh, uh, band of brothers and, and things like that so so we are trying to have a lot of interplay uh, between the squad members um, and and a lot of the text events are about that or the interplay between the squad members and, and the civilians and everything is interconnected so when you have text events it can affect your resources which affect your combat effectiveness uh, when you do things in levels it can also trigger events uh, uh, events can trigger status effects and traits on the characters, which changes them temporary or permanent in some ways. And uh, and if they are hurt uh, inside the levels, it can also affect your soldiers, which will mean it will trigger potentially other events 
uh, after the levels and so on. So it's very much we're trying to to integrate the the, the hardcore tactical combat uh, with uh, this more involving storytelling. That sounds really interesting. So is the is the get? Do you have like a a set plot and a set kind of series of levels that this is the game, or is that? I don't want to say randomly being generated because that that's thrown around too much and usually doesn't mean what people kind of think that it means sometimes. Uh, but is it, I don't know, uh, is it being procedurally generated in a way by your decisions as you play the game? Or, or how does, how does the structure of the game work? Everything is uh, handcrafted. So we okay. have a, a specific amount of levels. Um, that are all um, thought through with the story and uh, what is the gameplay and action beats inside this uh, level. And then um, you can choose uh, every day between the several uh, levels. So when you replay the campaign, you don't have to play through the, the same exact levels. You can experience new ways to go through the campaign. And then uh, we, we catch up on all those and have different endings that catch up and uh, resolve whatever you have experienced through the campaign. That, there's also some logic, for example, if you uh, some levels, if you complete some levels, it will trigger some text events, or uh, some levels are somehow connected to other levels, and, and there are different ways things kind of play together. So, so if you play the second time, uh, yeah, apart from choosing other levels, you will also experience uh, some other storylines and, and and different endings and. So on. So it is. It's very much a game with, with replayability, and and we're not going all in on the procedural generated like you know FTL or uh, into the dungeon or, or stuff like that. But but we're trying to to do this story-driven game with the whole story arc, but then still kind of mixes mix things up to to give you replay value. Mm. Actually, earlier in the development, we, we experimented with having more like randomly uh, generated uh, levels with the way we uh, put together levels. But we found out that it, it just feels more organic if you do one entire level that is sort of has a coherent meaning of uh, why does it look like that this area. Mm. Okay. Now, now given the uh, the focus on the the narrative. Uh, I don't, personally, I find uh, strategy and tactical games to just be completely overwhelming, and I get like five minutes into them, and it's just I, I can't I can't cope with it, so I stop playing them. Uh, how how is the difficulty of this game? Are there multiple options? Do you have a I don't know air quotes story mode or anything like that? Um, and uh, how is how are you kind of working with that? Difficulty where, you know, I guess for a lot of people, when you come to a game like this, uh, you're expecting, I don't know, not necessarily so much plot or narrative, uh, but just, you know, cool encounters where you get to send your guys all around the map and, and shoot people. We have several um, layers of difficulty, You both uh, easy, medium, hard, but you can also go in and say... Uh, Okay, so how should uh, permadeath work? Do I want permadeath? Uh, how many times can I revive guys? Uh, or is it just they're completely gone the first time they fall down? Uh, a lot of things uh, each player can tweak. Um, we have tested the game on people outside the target group, that is, people who don't play tactics or uh, games at all. 
And they still kind of uh, find it manageable, which is <laughs> nice. Uh, so it's not just the hardcore techies guys who, uh, who like the game. It's uh, I think we have found a level where everybody can sort of understand what uh, what they're supposed to do because it's basically the core gameplay loop is very simple. It's about movement and placement. You don't need to do much more than that to be able to play it as a, at a basic level. Okay. But of, but of course, the chance of completing the game to, to get one of the happy endings is increased the better you are. But I mean, yeah, we are we are trying to, to, to kind of make a combination with which, yeah, it touches everybody um, in some way. Okay. Yeah, uh, getting into the, the gameplay itself, uh, you mentioned earlier that you have a planning phase and it's a kind of a synchronous tactical game so you're not moving people and then the game pauses the, the enemy moves people uh you're kind of planning your stuff your characters uh move and do stuff and it can either be a beautiful ballet of death or it can just all go to hell uh <laughs> so can you, you talk a little Basically. bit more about kind of how that how those tactics work compared to i guess other games out there yeah, totally. I mean, as mentioned, then then originally we were very much um, into the whole frozen synapse gameplay, where you kind of plan and you execute, and you and then you move at the same time. Um, uh, because we really f found it was a good combination, and and the combination of what well, we really like to embrace tactical games, but they often become very abstract. I mean, XCOM uh, is unrealistic of course it is because it's turn-based it's an abstraction and and they have been good at kind of making it feel like it's a little bit action like with, with animated sequences and so on but at the end of the day it's it's not really realistic combat then when we have realistic combat like a company of heroes well then let me just say that I'm really too slow to play Company of Heroes. Yes. And, and that's one of the main philosophies. Like, we are old guys. We need to uh, sit and have fun with our action, but we don't want to get super stressed while playing. <laughs> I mean, if, if I should lie, I would say that I do not think uh, real-time uh, tactical games, real-time strategy games have much strategy because it's all about how fast you are. That's a lie, of course. It's because I'm not good enough at playing them, <laughs> because you both have to be fast and strategic. But but for some people who are not so good, then when it's real time, the strategic kind of is dumped down because it's more about being fast than really thinking about how to approach the situation. On the other hand, the, the turn-based tactical games and turn-based strategy games becomes very much about being strategic and tactical, but but it's also a little bit static and boring. And we were like, Frozen Synapse had something really good going. Uh, we just wanted something which was uh, faster to play than that. Yeah, we think that the, uh, the gameplay in Frozen Synapse, there's a lot of like, then I want to turn him 90 degrees, and then I want to shoot at this angle. And this. so we decided that, uh, like, why... Uh, doesn't the AI do these uh, simple, basic things for so it's only the interesting decisions you have to do as a player? Because, of course, when I move a soldier over to uh, around the corner and there's a soldier standing right in front of him, the natural thing would be to shoot. Why wouldn't I shoot at him? <laughs> so um, we let the and AI also, do those things. 
yeah, and also we wanted to to do more technical stuff, like being able to use more abilities and and items, like they they do in XCOM and of course uh, previous tactical games. So we have have a lot of uh, customization. You can give them different weapons. Weapons are good at different things. You can give them grenades. You can give them healing equipment. Uh, you can give them abilities which will improve their skills in, in in certain ways for a limited amount of time. All the weapons have a unique secondary uh, ability. Um, uh, and and each character have traits, and you can customize them, so on. So we wanted something which had a lot of depth and a lot of customization, like a, a turn-based tactics or a turn-based uh, RPG with combat, but at the same time had more action, more realism. Uh, and this was kind of the so for, Broken Lines is kind of the uh, this hybrid between the things where we are where we are trying to nail that and. And well, if we should say it, then we think we nailed it pretty well. But of course, <laughs> we will let the audience decide that. Okay. Very cool. Um, as so, the uh, your squad members are doing some of the things on their own, shooting at enemies. Uh, but you've got other power ups, other weapons. How how do those work? Are they items that you're picking up uh, as you're playing? Is it stuff that you load out before? kind of a mission starts how how do those mechanics kind of actually work together you, you it's a little bit like XCOM in that you uh, prepare a squad for a mission so you say i want this guy to be the shotgun guy maybe i should uh, give him a shot grenades uh, and then this uh, person has a rifle and maybe a smoke grenade and uh, it should also maybe have some healing pack so you sort of like decide who you want to give the specific roles uh, for your combat ahead yep. and then when you're in the fray then it's about making those uh, small decisions okay where do you want to place them now yeah because we're not running a strict class system we have what we call a soft class system actually it's not a class system at all uh, because all the soldiers are not confined to a class you can customize them as you like uh, and you can have one and say, this is going to be my dedicated medic, or this is going to be my dedicated sniper. But they have some traits. For example, one of them is not, well, he's a little bit cautious. You could also call him a coward. It wouldn't be a lie. And, and he's really good when he's behind cover, but he's not that good when he's out of cover. Mm. So a guy who, who performs better behind cover than out of cover, should he be a... A sniper guy, or should he maybe be a submachine gun guy who could do suppressive fire, or should he be one with a bazooka who pops up once in a while and and and, and destroys cover or kills the enemies with high explosive? Uh, and if you add some abilities which you can choose yourself and and put on this guy, then all of a sudden you have a lot of options. Okay, this guy, for example, runs very fast. Okay, so, so should I load him up with grenades and have him be a one who runs up to the enemy for a grenade at short range? Or should he have a lot of medkits and then run around and heal everybody? Uh, and should I give him an ability which means that, that he's harder to hit? Or should I give him an ability which means that he's more courageous so, so he doesn't panic as easily? And how does it fit with the grenade or the medic role and so on? So, so we are trying to do a more, more open customization system than, than the classic class system. Also because all of you guys can potentially die, so... Uh... <laughs> you need to be able to switch a little bit around if suddenly uh, like uh, the, uh, one person yeah. who was the only one who could uh, really fire a rifle died, then you would be fucked. <laughs> <in a, laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, 
Interesting. So, uh, a random question. This is just the the first thing that popped up in my head while watching the trailer for the game as you plan out your characters. It reminded me of the planning phase of the original Rainbow Six games. Um, yeah. Is that – did you guys play that and did that at all influence this game? Because <laughs> I, I love the original, original Rainbow Six. I'll... Our Magnus, our lead developer and game designer, actually played it. Uh, and of course, we looked at it a lot, especially in regards to the realistic uh, warfare. Uh, Magnus is also the only one who's actually been in the military, so he <laughs> taught us a lot of stuff. But basically, the military doctrine uh, in Second World War is one team suppresses and another advances. Okay. Uh, and, and, and that is, of course, something we have been a lot, very much inspired by uh, because our game is really about suppressing and then killing off. And if, oh. if you have an enemy which is behind cover, if you stand there at a distance and shoot at them, well, you won't hit much. And eventually, if they get too wounded or too suppressed, they will duck down behind the cover and you can't hit them almost at all. Mm. So it's like just shooting that people doesn't do anything, but... but doing focused fire, suppressing somebody, get them to duck their head down, and then charge with, an, with another soldier or another couple of soldiers and finishing the enemies off from a flank where they're not behind the cover or with a shotgun over the cover, stuff like that. That is something which is really effective both in real life and in our game. And we yeah. even did it to, to make sure we could, we could do this. We worked a lot with the suppression system, uh, which is basically the more bullets which pass away you had, the quicker you panic. Uh, where we discovered later on that our numbers for suppressing how many bullets per second to get somebody to panic is not too far off from, from official research on, on how people fought in the second world war and how quickly they panic. Oh. But also, um, some of the things we have in our game uh, is about how the cover works. In most games, you're either behind cover or you're not behind cover. Uh, you, it can be soft cover, it can be hard cover, but you're either in cover or you're not. In, in our game, the closer you are to a cover, the better it is. And the further away the enemy is from the cover, the better it is. So if you stand close to a, a wall and somebody shoots at you from a great distance, you will have, he will have a hard time hitting you. But if both of you are standing on the opposite side of the wall, it will be really easy to hit you because he can just take the gun over the wall and, and shoot you. So, so realistic cover, both in regards to, to AOE damage, but, but also in regards to projectiles, there's also something we have worked a lot on. Mm. Interesting. It's also interesting that uh, so many uh, games they only have the health uh, bar for soldiers, and uh, and in, in our games it's the health and the stress bar, and uh, they both are equally important to keep an eye on. Uh, yeah, because as soon as you, your characters are suppressed, I mean that your stress bar is is going up 100 percent. Then what happens is your soldiers sit down and do nothing because they're afraid. They're scared. Oh. And the same, the enemy does the same, so it's an even playground. Um, so it's really about, like, if somebody's getting shot at a lot, I mean, you, you better get him to safety or accept that he won't be worth anything because, he, A, he can't hit for shit if he shoots, and eventually he would stop shooting because he's too afraid. Oh. Okay. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, going back just a little bit, talking about uh, having the kind of suppression team and the advancing team, uh, when you're in the planning phase of the game, can you group uh, your different squad members together 
and say, you know, have like two people that you kind of use, move as one unit to say that, you know, these two guys are going to suppress and somebody else is going to flank? Or are you just moving everybody individually? It's about moving uh, everybody individually, but okay. we are streamlining it. So it's like uh, you can you can do a lot of mini managing or like uh, micromanaging <laughs> um, where it's like I want this guy to sneak uh, for five meters, uh, then wait one second to wait for the other soldier to move there. Um, and you can spend a lot of time uh, planning or you can just uh, say one click, I move over there and it's done. I, 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 I assume everything will go as I hope. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. Also, we have generally designed the game so there's not too much walking. So, so it's not like you walk for 30 seconds before you enter combat. It's very much you start in a level and then after one round or something like that, then you will meet something or, or fight somebody. Hmm. Uh, so, so we go straight to the action and not, we don't do things with a lot with exploration and so on. Okay. Uh, is, is stealth a valid option in the game? Can you try to sneak by enemies or is it, um, or is that just not a, a thing? You can keep a low profile. Uh, you, you have three ways to move. You can run, which attracts more enemy attack, uh, um, uh, attention, and then you can walk normally, and where you also can shoot by walking, and then you can sort of do the sneaky way. Um, it's not a stealth game, but you can sort of uh, like go in close to the enemies before you engage, so you have the best positions before doing the actual fight. Gotcha. I, I, again, it's all about the teamwork. If you have somebody shooting at the enemy, and then another one uh, sprinting somewhere, then the sprinting guy will attract attention and be shot at. And then if you have a third guy who kind of uh, who kind of uh, stays low, he might still get shot at, but the chances is that, that he will a little bit be ignored, and so he can get much closer. Hmm. Okay. So stealth is a valid tactic, but not a quote-unquote like way to play the game. You're not going to get by encounters completely by using no. stealth. Gotcha. No. Awesome. Awesome. I always, I just, I like it when stealth is at least acknowledged. So I, I, I like sneaking. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you can totally do flank attacks using this kind of stay low, stay hidden, uh, and that is also a very good tactic. Like you have one guy who who shoots at the enemy, gets their attention, and then the other guys kind of sneak around on the side. And you also have things like smoke grenades, which can hide you. So you can throw a smoke grenade and then uh, sprint through the smoke, smoke or throw a smoke grenade at the enemy and then charge up. And then when the smoke clears, you're ready to bam, shotgun to the face uh, type stuff. Okay, very cool. Uh, now, I guess kind of the last area of the game that I wanted to discuss is the visuals. Uh, I already talked about the the game is made in Unity. Uh, the game kind of has a you know I guess a, a caricature, slightly st you know stylized vision. It doesn't it doesn't obviously look like it's not my brain. I cannot talk right now. Uh, it's not trying to be ultra realistic or or anything like that. Uh, what was kind of the the impetus to to go in that route with such a serious uh, topic that, well, that you're talking about. Uh, well, I, I would call the game serious as such. It's more like a pulpy, dark uh, war story. Um, and we have this uh, Danish uh, illustrator called Peter Snyder, who is very good at doing uh, 
these uh, cartoons with uh, here's uh, Don Kingsborough Hellboy, and uh, uh, so we, we asked him if he could uh, help us doing some portraits that uh, could show a lot of emotion and be involved in a, in a war story, but not make it like gritty dark. Um, so uh, so that's why we went for this little bit more, let's say, expressive style. Yeah, generally you could say that that we are trying to do something which is not hyper-realistic, both in regards to the story and 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 the a little bit free impression of World War II, but also in regards to the graphics, where we where, where we do not try to make it look hyper-realistic, uh, but more like a, not like a nightmare, but somehow like a, maybe a, a, fe- a fever daydream, you could say. Um, uh, and of course, we are very inspired by by a lot of comics. Also, yeah, Jacob said Hellboy and and Peter Sniper also made the awesome comics called Light Brigade about a World War II squad, which ends up in a very weird situation. Um, uh, which of course also was an inspiration. But but it is this kind of a a little bit fantastic setting, but still somewhat plausible. I mean, we we are not good at 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 orcs and elves. We like reality. We like history. Mm-hmm. But we want to to give history a, a thin layer of paint to to yeah, as Jacob said, make it more expressive and and more emotional. Sure, sure. There, there's actually something about uh, not necessarily the the character designs, but the um, uh, kind of the environmental art, the the vistas and stuff. It reminds me a little bit of Brothers: A Tale of Two Sons. I I don't know. Why? But yeah, it's, it's just game. it's kind of uh, painterly in a way. It's, mm. yeah. I really like it. Um, mm. Yeah, I I just like uh, like I have a background in painting, and mm. this, uh, it's important for like I think we decided to play around with lights a lot and make this uh, sort of have the the colors and the emotion be more important than the the rendering of every little detail. Um, sure. We have a very nice system where we actually uh, it's called a, it's a bit like fog of war with uh, with light so where the play uh, the soldiers can see everything a little bit more bright and then um, the rest of the level goes away in shadow so as you move you have this sense of uh, uh, light following you which uh, gives us a little bit otherworldly feel that also helps you where you can actually uh, to acknowledge where you can actually see yeah, and also all the levels are actually taking place in, in, in different color schemes. So so some of them is like uh, early sunset and red, and some of them is early morning, and some of them in the middle of the day. And each of them feels different and has a unique color and vibrant tone. Uh, again, also to make it feel a little bit more emotional and not just have the same kind of green, military green, gray, brown all the time, but, but somehow painted in a in a in an atmosphere in a, in a mood. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Okay. Well, um I think that's all the questions I have about the game. Uh so that means it's time to uh to do the in game section, which is the last section, and it is so much fun, and hopefully I'm not overselling this because everybody <laughs> generally says it's it's one of the most fun parts of the show. Uh, but anyway, so the first question is very simple. Both of you have to answer uh, for all of the questions. There's like, I don't know, six or eight. Uh, but the first one's very simple. 
who is your favorite video game character? This can be a hero, a sidekick, a villain, whoever. Uh, obviously can't be like one of your characters from uh, Broken Lines, but <laughs> um, take it away. Oh, that is a good question. Uh, I didn't say it's simple. Yeah. I didn't say it would be easy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, but... <laughs> sure. I like uh, Super Frog. It's an old uh, Amiga game from the early nineties. <laughs> he has uh, this great attitude, and uh, and uh, and you got get his energy from uh, Soda Drinks, which is uh, what all you superheroes should do. And uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I mean, I, I actually not totally sure. I, mean, I I'm kind of yeah. Uh, I haven't really thought about that. Um, I guess that the game I've played the most is Fallout 2, <laughs> okay. which uh, where you could have a dog companion. It was a very nice dog. I like that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's really a character. Maybe it was just a bit neutral, so I, I kind of maybe wrote too much feeling into it. I'm not sure. <laughs> but it was a nice dog. I think it was, it was called a good dog. dog Meat. It was called Dog Meat. Actually, I remember yeah. it wrong. It was from Fallout 1 now, I remember. Mm. But Dog Meat, I really like Dog Meat. Okay. I wonder if it got eaten at one point. If not, why would well. it be called Dog Meat? <laughs> oh, well, good question. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. Uh, so, next question. If you could play any video game over again for the first time, so... It's it's always great to go back and play video games that you played before, but some of them it never quite recaptures that same experience of of that first playthrough. So if you could replay any game, uh, it doesn't you know the age of the game doesn't matter. Uh, the it's not going to get worse with age or anything like that. So you can you can preserve that pure original experience. But if you could re-experience that game uh, for the first time again, what would you like it to be? Shadow of Colossus. Shadow of Colossus. Okay, that's. Uh, I actually got to to play that for the first time. Uh, what was it? Not last year. Uh, 2018, I think, is when the PlayStation 4 yeah. version came out. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was, I was partially very sad that I had never played that game before, <laughs> but I was also really happy that the version that I played was this like incredibly beautiful game that didn't run at like 14 frames per second <laughs> and have a super bizarre control scheme. <laughs> uh, so I, I was sad that, you know, it took until 2018 for that to happen. But at the same time, I was glad it was, it was that, you know, version of the game, uh, which yeah, yeah. totally does. That that's fantastic game. Yeah. That's, that's amazing mystery actually flaw. And uh, yeah, that's, I had a I had a game where kind of well apart from of course playing game torment which was also a really great experience if you had the patience to play through it all it was very long um, and I had a game recently where I was like oh that actually touched me but now I forgot what it was and maybe it didn't touch me that much after all <laughs> I'm not sure <laughs> I guess I mean a game I remember spec up the lines which of course also had some some turning points and some some kind of twist which made it remember remember uh, what's what's the word remember memorable memorable (laughs) that's much better than rememberable um so i guess that's gotta be it because that's what i can remember okay spec ops that's definitely one that you can't you can't have that first experience with ever again because you you know the twist yeah Um, exactly that's 
Good choice. Okay. Uh, so this is yeah, not, not a game that you want to replay again, but what what is a game, either a single game or a franchise of games, that is kind of a blind spot? Something that you have not played, and whether it's peer pressure or actual personal desire that you really want to want to play, but just haven't. Or maybe it's a, a guilty uh, pleasure. You don't want it, or not guilty pleasure. That's the. Uh, it's just a. You know, you don't want anybody to know that you haven't actually played this game. Uh, but they're going to know because you're going to say it on this podcast. <laughs> I mean, I, I have a. I have something to to kind of reveal. Uh, apart from the Commodore sixty four and the Amiga, I have never owned a console. I guess they were not consoles either. But I've never actually owned a console, so I've never played a lot of the very good console games, and especially uh, Last of Us. I would really like to play, mm. but I've never it, done it, and that's kind of ah, goddamn it. It might come out to PC as Sony. Uh, there are some rumors that Sony will uh, deliver its uh, whole uh, library of titles to PC over the next few years. Yeah, I heard that. I'm looking forward to it. But I, I don't know if it's that good. It just seemed to be really good at the time it came out. It is It Ooh. is really good. Actually, I replayed that a couple of years ago. I was not uh, excited for A Last of Us Part 2 because I was like, nope, that's a definitive thing. Don't, don't go back to those characters. Um, but uh, I played it for a second time on the, the PlayStation 4, which, God bless whoever decided they should use triggers instead of the, the shoulder buttons as the triggers, because whoever on the PS3 decided that the the shoulder buttons should be used instead of the triggers for triggers on guns, it's just, that's madness. Uh, but anyway, um, yeah, no, that is mechanically one of Naughty Dog's best games, because the Uncharted games are very... I, I'm not a huge fan of a lot of those, but... The Last of Us works incredibly well uh, from a gameplay mechanic perspective Ooh. and from a narrative perspective. Um, and yeah, I, I definitely want more Last of Us now, and I'm, I'm very excited that we're we're now in 2020 and that game is coming out. Uh, and I would yeah. highly recommend that anybody go check out uh, The Last of Us on PS4, or hopefully if it's, if it's coming out to P, uh, PC, then uh, that's, yeah, that would be great too. I I love console exclusives because usually those games get a lot of love from whoever is making, you know, the, the publisher of it, uh, whether it's Microsoft or, or Sony or whoever. Uh, and there's usually there's a, a closer connection between the game and the platform, which is really nice. But at the same time, I hate exclusives because there's some really good games that I wish more people could play. So it's, <laughs> uh, that, that's definitely one of them. For me, I think it's as I get become a grumpy old man who has my opinions before I even try a game. <laughs> then uh, it's uh, like I haven't tried uh, Fortnite, I haven't tried Overwatch, mm. and uh, it's uh, like, I'm, as a game designer, you should sort of keep up with the modern games, but it's like I look at them and, and uh, most of them and say, nah, I know where that's heading, <laughs> and I don't need to try that, and okay, maybe I can watch a little bit of a video to get an understanding, but... <laughs> I've, I've tried. I've tried a, a, a Blood Royale, a PUBG mod, not mod, a PUBG game mode for Battlefield Five, uh, which was actually entertaining. I, I get it. I mean, I get why they're fun and why people play them. Totally. 
sure. Yeah, but I'm pretty sure I will get the messed up by it. Like, I, I just want to learn the controls in my own slow way. I don't want to get, uh, like, uh, sniped by, uh, like, 11 year old kid after five seconds. <laughs> well, that, that's just all multiplayer games these days. Some 11 year old is just going to be way better than you. Doesn't doesn't matter what game you're playing. Well, <laughs> if you play, if you play, no, no, there's one game. World of Tanks. World it's of kind tanks. of a dad game. <laughs> then it's kind of 45 to 50 year old people who are better than you. Yeah. And they have World of Super Tankers. That should be really slow. Oh, yeah, really slow. <laughs> they have World of Warships, which is slower than World of Tanks. Yeah. I don't know if, if people are older who play World of Warships. <laughs> well, yeah, good question. I guess sometimes they are going to do World of Truck Simulator. <laughs> and then it's, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that yeah, that sounds that sounds like something that'll happen. Uh, collaboration between the uh, the world of planes and tanks guys and the Euro Truck Simulator game, and it's just a, a massively multiplayer online truck simulator. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, will, I will play that. Yeah. Yeah. Or World of Farming Simulator, also a potential Absolutely. hit. Probably. Uh, can you can you come over and? And co-plow my field. <laughs> we can do a plowing raid. Uh, no, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, it, that, that's like the um, the little city simulator game with the the asynchronous multiplayer, where you can attack other people's villages and you progress through time. So yeah, you go and help your friends, and you start off with you know having to hand plow things, and eventually you get oxes and donkeys and stuff, <laughs> and then eventually you know in a couple of thousand years you get to to have a tractor. Uh, yeah. I can totally see that being a thing. <laughs> Somebody yeah, somewhere is working on it. <laughs> Helping your friend plowing so when they get back in the game, they get a happy surprise. Yeah. Um, all right, so uh, to go off that weird tangent, um, what, is a, uh, what is a good trend in video games that, that you like? Whether it's something that's very prolific, a lot of games are doing, or something that you, you've only noticed maybe a few games or a few developers doing? What is something uh, that that some games are doing and you would like to see more of? Yeah, well, uh, I'm actually saying just trending at the moment, and uh, even though it has its uh, weird issues, I, I really like the idea of, uh, of leaving small gifts and helpful things for the other players while I can still manage my own business. Um, it's very interesting uh, mechanic, and I think that will, uh, that will, uh, like, the, the thing to build something that is left for you to enjoy, and or you can tear it down if you don't like it. That's, uh, I think that will become a very interesting uh, mechanic in other games over the next few years. Yeah, I also played uh, Dark Souls Three. I actually completed it. I'm very proud. Wow. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and and I mean, I also really like the whole uh, yeah people leaving messages it's the same, to each other. The same system actually. Yeah. Yeah, and sometimes, well, on Dark Souls, sometimes the messages were not really that helpful or even counter helpful, but but sometimes they were kind of helpful, and and you could invite people over to help you when it got really frustrating. Uh, and uh, yeah, it was a of course. It's, it's technically hard with whole inviting people if you're doing a single player game and then doing the whole multiplayer add-on um, but for the bigger budget title it's, it's totally cool mm-hmm. very cool um, alright uh, wait did both of you say or are you both going with being able to, to help other people help out other people that's, yeah. okay 
Yeah. Well, I mean, I also think that that the whole uh, uh, premium is not dead movement, which people kind of figured out that yeah, free to play is a really big thing on mobile, but also that that it's not the only thing, and and there was kind of this trend where everybody's like, oh no, PC is dead, oh no, console is dead, oh no, <laughs> premium is dead, and then a couple years later, oh no, it wasn't dead. Free to play was just kind of growing until it hit a natural saturation, but that didn't mean that, I mean, uh, that people still uh, people still want to pay to play a game. Somebody even might want to pay to have a subscription to play games and then lose the games when they stop paying the subscription. I mean, they all work and, and we don't all have to go free to play and, and, and do games with a lot of metrics in mind in regards to optimizing. I won't say extortion, but yeah, I mean, I, I admire the people who do free-to-play games. I used to say, if I was really smart, I might be able to do free-to-play games, but I'm not intelligent enough to do it successfully. Uh, so I totally admire the people who nail it, but but yeah, it's just not for me to do it, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, kind of the reversal of that, what is a a bad trend or trope in video games that you wish would either be lessened or go away entirely? I guess it's easy to say loot boxes, and it's already <laughs> this kind of dying down again, so maybe I should come up with something more creative. Yeah, for me, like, I... I, for me, the interesting part about video games is not it being a sport or being good as a player, but uh, so, like, if you're bad at a game, it shouldn't be frowned upon. You should be able to enjoy it. Um, so, uh, uh, yeah, you just do whatever. You can get enjoyment out of a game and just do something in the corner of that universe and, uh, <laughs> and be happy with that. That's, that's fine. But, but I think that that one trend, which is kind of being toned down a little bit was the games have to be really easy and, and we should never have the player fail, which was a trend at one point. And then with, with the Dark Souls likes and, and the, the roguelikes, which got a, a, a renaissance uh, here a couple of years ago, uh, then, then the business kind of saw that, no, we don't always want to hold the player's hand and do everything easy and hand feed them with epic uh, uh, successes. It's also okay, like in multiplayer games, to actually lose and, and try again and become better. Uh, uh, so the whole uh, it should be totally easy uh, thing was kind of a bad trend, I think. But but it's mm. it's kind of gone away now or being more moderated. So I, I like that. I, I, I guess our point is that we, we, we want games to be what it needs to be for everybody. So it's like some people need the easy games and some people just want to do something weird uh, with the game and other players want to be really good but uh, yeah it's it's a big complex discussion (laughs) it is is absolutely a big complex discussion yeah no i I think sometimes people get confused with the idea of accessibility and the idea of ease for for difficulty where there are you know you can make concessions in a game to make it accessible to people that have a disability, whatever that may be, Ooh. and giving options that allow people to access the game, uh, I think is, is hugely important and also different than giving multiple difficulties. I think from 
yes. from terms of, of difficulty, it really should be up to whoever's making the game. Like if, if, if you want to provide multiple difficulties and you want to have, you know, sliders and have people be able to adjust a bunch of different stuff, then, then that's great. And that should be part of your vision. If you're saying, no, this is the experience, like no difficulty options. Like this, this is the game that we're making and this is the experience we want you to have. Then that, that's just about creative freedom. <laughs> that's... Yeah. Uh, so, but yeah, that is, that is absolutely a complicated discussion. And, uh, I think we're just gonna keep having it for for a while. I don't I don't think there's necessarily like a a right or wrong or there, there's no end to that discussion. It's always gonna be kind of something that's held in tension and is gonna move back and forth on it, uh, mm. which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing. Um, but uh, but anyway, uh, so so both of you before getting into to video games. Uh, did other jobs, worked in other professions. If you could try any other profession, though, um, and this is not this is not some bad omen that you can't make video games anymore or something ridiculous like that, but this is just, if you could literally try anything else, whether it's, you know, world food taster or astronaut or, or whatever the case may be, what is something that you would like to do? Uh, <laughs> I mean, I actually was thinking if I had to change my, my line of work, I would totally do playgrounds, physical playgrounds. Hmm. Uh, I, I mean, level design and physical playgrounds is, especially multiplayer level design, uh, is kind of pretty related. And I see a lot of playgrounds with really bad level design. <laughs> uh, so, of course, playground is also doing that. There's also a lot about knowing about the materials and the rules and regulations and avoiding people getting choked and stuff like that. I know that's very important, but still I, I see a lot of wasted opportunities sometimes. Mm -hmm. uh, and also I actually have in my own, own backyard, I, I, I'm building my own very big playground. I live in an area with a lot of nature. So, so I'm building a big playground with rope bridges and trampolines and zip lines mm -hmm. and so on. So, uh, so I'm kind of, I'm, I'm training if, <laughs> if the whole game, if, if there's a bus lighting, like in 1982, where the whole gaming business goes down the drain, then I have something to yeah, <laughs> to change to. Uh, excellent. Yeah, and for me, uh, it, it would probably be about getting away from the computer and getting out. Uh, I, I like to do urban sketching, so uh, like if I could make a living of that, that could be interesting. Like go out, uh, sit in the nature, do a drawing, or go home to people's houses, uh, paint uh, portraits of them, uh, like go around, just uh, uh, experience people uh, and be close, having some uh, interesting uh, uh, experiences, just uh, <laughs> relax uh, and uh, be, uh, go down in tempo, be like observe uh, life <laughs> and then uh, express that. Well, basically, that sounds like a little bit being lazy, not having to do that much work. <laughs> no, it, it's about uh, going, like, it's not being lazy. It's about uh, going down in tempo and uh, not stress so much, but, uh, like, uh, if you sit still for a few hours and then observe and draw things that are happening beside you, you get the... Uh, an appreciation of the small details uh, of uh, what, what's uh, happening in life and how things look and how they're connected and how people behave. And that's super interesting. And it could be fun to make a living of that, of being able to express all those uh, everyday experiences. 
show people feel like I think that's the something that the that is interesting. Definitely. Definitely. Alright, and uh now for the, the final question. Uh, and this kind of t- this takes us back to your favorite characters. Uh, Jacob, Hans, if each of you got to meet Superfrog and Dogmeat, and yes. ask them one question, I don't I don't know how Dogmeat is going to respond. Uh, but if you got to ask Superfrog and Dogmeat a question, and they get to respond, what is your question, and how do they respond? Well, I guess with Dogmeat. <laughs> I, I could ask dogs me the classical woof. Uh, I don't know how much I would get out of the answer. Uh, I guess I would ask Dogmead why on earth was he so loyal? I mean, basically in the game you feed him and pet him the first time you meet him and then he kind of walks around with you the rest of the game, even if you become a total bastard and sell your <laughs> friends to slavery. Um, and at one point you can get branded in your forehead because, you sell your, because you're a slaver and everybody will leave you, but the dog will still remain loyal, even though you don't feed him and you're a bastard. That's... <laughs> I would very much like his answer to it. Maybe he's just a dog, so that's what he'd do. I mean, that's his ability to be loyal, but he's also really uh, good at fighting and fighting and stuff. So, I mean, he has a value. Why doesn't he Why doesn't he value his accomplishment more than just hanging around with a bastard? Uh, well, that was my question. <laughs> okay. Um, yes, and I would ask a super frog. So how... Uh, does it feel to experience life from a 2D perspective? Can you even see anything when you are just on one point of view and like everything is flat? And I think uh, Super Frog would say it does not compute. <laughs> <laughs> oh my, oh, I, I'll, I'm, in a moment I will go through my house and then I will be confused because I'll try to imagine it in 2D. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, okay. Ooh, yeah. yeah. I guess. I guess he doesn't know his intuity. No, he's blissfully uh, unaware. Yeah. I mean, I guess why that's that's like asking a fish, just like, why are you in water all the time? Why yeah. why are you yeah. so wet? And the fish is like, and what? Blop blop blop. Oh, fantastic! Well, that does it. Congratulations, you guys survived. We made um, it. You made it. Uh, I have no prizes for you. Just my adoration and thanks for for sitting down with me and chatting about Broken Lines. Uh, if you guys could send us out by letting people know when and and where the game is coming out and uh, where they can go to find out more information. Well, you can totally go to brokenlinesgame.com to uh, read more about the game. Um, then there's, of course, a Steam page, uh, Broken Lines on Steam. And we are coming out very soon, in a little more than a month, uh, so if you go to the Steam page, Wrong Lines Steam page, then you can totally wishlist us there. Uh, and uh, yeah, stay tuned because soon, a little more than a month, and it's going to be awesome. Fantastic. And it's coming out on, on Steam uh, and consoles, correct? Uh, PC and Switch and then consoles later, then the other consoles Switch. later. Okay. Yeah. And you're also welcome to join us on... Uh... Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and uh, also our Discord channel where we're happy to chat with the people who have questions about our game. Fantastic. Well, there will be links for all of that stuff in the show notes for this page so that people can check all of that out. 
Uh, Hans, Jacob, thank you guys so much again, and best of luck as you finish uh, development on Broken Lines and work on uh, the, the other project that you mentioned that you're, you're already working on. Uh, wish you guys yep. the best. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks for your time. Thanks to listeners out there.